this morning. We're in the letter of James, chapter 3. I'll give you a moment, if you'd like, to, to turn there. I was reflecting this week on last week's message. If you were here as we talked about the text in, in Matthew of, of, of how we deal with each other and how we deal with um, disagreements or those who have wronged, wronged us and, and the, the challenge that, that Christ gives us to be honest and, and intentional about reconciliation and trying to heal directly those, those relationships and those broken places. And, uh, and I was just thinking about how many conversations I had last week with some of you and, and in each of the worship services from those who came up and said, you know, that, that hit me square between the eyes. You know, that was right where I lived and, and you were talking to me and, and you were preaching to me. And, and my tendency when you say that, and if, if we've had that conversation, you know, my tendency is to say, no, I, I was not preaching to you. Because what I mean is, you know, I don't write sermons with one person in mind. I don't think, you know, hey, Dave needs to hear this, so here's the sermon for him. Um, and I just pick on him because he's standing right in front of me, or sitting right in front of me. But, but you know, here's the thing, and this is where kind of the conviction came. Um, if you think I was talking to you, I was. <laughs> I was. The Holy Spirit was talking to you because I was talking to me. And last week's sermon was one of those sermons that, that Dad used to describe often as it was one of those sermons that the preacher's meddling. I was meddling last week. I was meddling with your stuff because I was, God was meddling with mine. And I say all of that because we're going to meddle some more today. We're going to, I pray, the Holy Spirit is going to smack some more of us in the head this morning because we occasionally need that. In fact, probably more often than we really want to admit. So let's go to James. It is not going to take you long to figure out where this sermon is going. Because there are texts um, that don't need scriptures, that don't need a lot of um, exposition, that don't need a lot of, of um, explaining, because they, they pretty much get to the point. And here's one of them. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Always encouraging words for a preacher. Um, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now let me pause for a second, because hear that word. Anyone who is able to never, um, is never at fault in what they say is perfect. That's what James is saying. Now remember, who's perfect? How many of us? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what James is saying. Okay? There's only one who's been perfect, and he's not writing to Jesus. He's writing to us. Verse 3, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, yet they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, 
but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the whole body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of a deadly poison. Now, this is the part where you say, James, why don't you soften this up just a little bit? Because he gets right to the point. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, this morning you may seek in your spirit to kind of hit us where it hurts, but help us to hear. Because we're called to be fully who you've created us to be, to be faithful as you've called us to be. Help us today to take a step in faithfulness and to be open to your word. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe that some of the most attracting words to start a conversation. When I say attracting, I don't necessarily mean because they're good or, or praiseworthy, but I mean attracting in the sense that gets our attention, that makes our ears perk up, that, that draws us in or causes us to lean into a conversation. That's some of the most magnetic, maybe, words that we speak in a conversation or that we hear are these. Have you heard about... Have you heard about? I'll just speak for me. When I hear those words or something like those words, I perk up. Because I assume that what's coming is going to be good. And I use good in a very broad sense of the word. That, that what's coming is a little bit of dirt. Going to hear some stories. Somebody's talking about somebody. And it's going to be interesting. That, if we're honest, has a tendency to, to pull us in. Those kind of conversations, those kinds of stories. It's the same reason that Oscar Wilde is quoted as once saying, if you don't have something good to say about anybody, come sit next to me. Yeah, come sit next to me. Because we, I mean, let's, 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 be honest, for a lot of us, those are interesting conversations. Those are interesting. We are, we're attracted, and, and I know not everybody, and I'm using broad brushes here, but, but we tend to be intrigued by the dirt. I mean, that's big business in this country. It takes not a lot of observation to stand at a checkout line at Publix or Walmart or any supermarket or store and just glance at the headlines that sell magazines and, and what they're touting. We, we're 
interested in those kinds of stories and those kinds of things that draw us in. And sometimes cause devastation at the same time. That move us into behaviors, move us into choices, move us into conversations that the Bible over and over and over again warns us about. The Proverbs are full of warnings against gossip, against idle speech, against conversation that tears down. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 13 warns us about gossip and, and idle speech. And, and you find this throughout the Scriptures because it is it's such a tendency. It is, it is so easy for us to fall into. And yet it is such a devastation. I mean, this is what James is warning about. He says basically, with a small spark, a fire can be set loose. And how many of us have never caught, found ourselves caught up in a fire in the repercussions of unholy conversation. And maybe things we've started, things that we've said, things that we've um, done, and, and problems that, that we've caused in our own speech. There's a, a proverb, I think it's a Yiddish proverb, uh, of a man that came to a rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, I, you know, he had, he had said some untrue things. He had gossiped about this rabbi. And he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. What can I do to make it right? How can I, how can I make this right? And, and the rabbi said, go to the town square. Take two feather pillows and cut the feather pillows in half and spread, the, spread them open. And so the man does. And, the, and the, the feathers go flying everywhere. And he comes back to the, to the priest or to the uh, rabbi. And he says, Rabbi, I did what you said. Now, how, does it, how can I make it better? He says, now, go and try to pick up all the feathers. And you will understand the ramifications of, of your careless words. Now, that's a little harsh, but it's, but it's very, very true. And, and the scriptures <clears throat> warn us over and over about that because we're not perfect, as James makes clear at the very beginning. And this is one of those areas that we find ourselves very, very susceptible and that we can easily, and we do easily become trapped in. I mean, it starts when we're in grade school and the conversations and the rumor mills and the whispers that go around. And it, it's interesting the way that we use our speech. I, I, I came across an excerpt in an article from the Journal of Applied Psychology. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. Let, let me preface this. I don't get the Journal of Applied Psychology, nor do I regularly read the Journal of Applied Psychology. Uh, but, but I came across this, and it was a study with uh, a social experiment. And they took college students. I think it was about 100 co-eds and, and about 50 uh, male students. And they told them various stories, rumors, if you will, some with salacious details about moral failings and, and inappropriate behavior and cheating, and some that were, that were um, praiseworthy of accomplishments and things that fellow students had accomplished. And they told them these stories, and they followed to see which ones got repeated. And this is what they found, that if the story that you heard was a negative story about somebody you considered a rival, 
For somebody you didn't like too much, you are more likely to tell and repeat that story. If the story was something positive about somebody you liked, you were more likely to repeat that story. Now, I don't think that's necessarily shocking to anybody. We have a tendency to kind of buy into the storytelling with people. We may not say it as directly and, and as negatively as that, but that we maybe don't, we don't have quite an affinity for. Maybe that's a nicer way to say that we don't have the same affinity for. But in doing so, we fall into dangerous sin. We fall into destructive patterns that can spiritually corrupt us, but can also have painful repercussions on other people. And so James is warning us. That's, I mean, that's, it's obvious. It's not hard to decipher. James, James is warning us about our words and the things that we say and to be mindful of that because words have significant power. And, and keep in mind, this is written to the church at a time in the first century when oral culture was the dominant culture. That's the way the, the gospel was transmitted, the way the stories of Jesus were shared well before anything was written and, and codified. Even the, the Old Testament scriptures, were, which were written in scrolls, the stories and the faith was largely passed down in the oral tradition, one generation to the next. Now, we live in an age where we're bombarded by multimedia from all different directions. But at a time when your most valuable asset was the credibility of your words, when your means of evangelism and sharing Jesus, as it still is, was the words that you spoke evidenced by the way that you lived, when your words became corrupt, when your stories became um, negative or, or your credibility was impugned, then the gospel suffered. And it was really, really important for the church to understand their words really mattered. And that's no different than it is today. In fact, the, much of the ancient wisdom, much of the Proverbs say that it is really better to be silent than to speak. I mean, how many times have you not get, gotten in a situation through the things that you've said when you, in your head, have just gone, if I've just kept my mouth shut? I mean, I have been there way too many times to count. If I just kept my mouth shut. Well, the Proverbs talk a lot about keeping our mouth shut. Uh, Proverbs 10, 19, Proverbs 21, 23, that talks about, uh, in fact, Proverbs 10, 19 basically says a, peop, a person who, this is my, my paraphrase, but a person who talks a lot gets in a lot of trouble. That's, that's basically, you can go read it. It says it more, more poetically than that. But a person who, person who talks a lot gets in a lot of trouble. The person who guards their words is prudent and wise. We, we need to be challenged to guard our words. So, so that's the obvious application, but, but, but I, I wanted to go kind of deeper with that this morning because I started to think about that because we do talk. We're always going to talk. We share stories. And, and where's the line? Because there, there's a challenge there. I, I don't have any belief that all of a sudden we're all going to walk out of here and we're going to go, okay, we're never, ever going to talk about another person ever again. Be, because there's, there's, there's value in conversation. So for me, I read that and I go, how do I begin to apply that into my life? What are some things I can begin to understand so I have an application of where conversation has 
value because James talks about the fact that, that our words, it's not just that our words are destructive. He does talk about the value of the things. He says, with our lips, we praise God. We worship God. So, so what we say has value and meaning and is important, which is why we gather and why we sing hymns and why we read Scripture and why we pray together, because the words that we speak are important. So how do we begin to measure our words? Because there are times when the conversation that we have, even when it's not the most uplifting of topics, helps us order and understand our lives. Uh, This past week in the news, uh, we have watched as the sports world has kind of dominated the the culture as we've we've watched the explosion of the issue of domestic violence around um, Ray Rice and his... his, um, Abuse. I mean, there's no way to put it, of his then fiancé, now wife. And that has dominated the conversation. And, and there's been gossip, by its very definition, is when you talk about a person or a circumstance when you don't have all the facts. And so there's been a lot of gossip around that. We know the facts, and, and, and it is without question. He physically abused her. But there's been a lot of gossip, if you will, and understand, people trying to understand why she stayed with him, why she's still in the relationship, why she's come to his defense. We don't fully know that, but that has dominated the conversation. I think there's value there, not in any way judging her. Let me be very, very clear. But in trying to understand, because some of you have been in places in your life where you have suffered domestic violence. Some of you, and it's not just a, a woman's issue, but it is largely, have been in that place where you've been there. And it is important. That conversation matters because it helps some of us begin to understand how difficult that is. And it's not as black and white as we want it to be. And that the answers aren't always as easy as they seem. So, so there's a level of gossip, if you will, conversation where we don't have all the facts that I think has value. And, and I, I can even bring it much closer to home. I, I remember very vividly about a decade or so ago... Uh, as a, as a much younger pastor, there was a, a, another pastor in, in the community where I was serving who, um, by the kind of the, the, the societal standards of ministry, was a very successful pastor. His church had grown. Uh, he was a dynamic preacher. I mean, it was one of those churches that was moving and shaking and doing a lot of really good stuff. And uh, so as, as a young pastor, I would, I'm anxious to learn. I'm always anxious to learn. So I had made time, and he had always made time for me to come and to sit down with him and to learn from him and to share some of his insights. i never forget one day I got a phone call from a friend. I said, Chris, have you heard? Heard what? Joe, and that's not his name, but um, Joe had an affair and cheated on his wife. And... Uh, Long story short, it cost Joe his ministry. And I can remember, it was, it was the first time somebody who I was, I mean, we've all heard those stories, we've seen them on television, but this was the closest it had ever come to kind of my circle of relationships. And, and I can remember very, very clearly in the months that would follow, sitting with other pastors, as we would talk about that. And, and the only facts we knew was that he'd had an affair with a church member, and it had destroyed his family, and it had cost him his ministry. And our conversation centered around a lot of why do we think that happened. Now, 
let, let me be clear. That was gossip to a level. We don't know. We, we hadn't sit, sat down with him. But it was gossip with, I think, and I'm, I'm walking a fine line here, but, but let me try to understand, for you to understand what the purpose was there. We weren't looking to tear him down. We were looking to try to make sense of it. We were looking to understand, and as a pastor, I wanted to understand. Do you know why? Because I didn't ever want to be in that place. I wanted to know who somebody who I firmly believe loved Jesus and loves Jesus because there is forgiveness and there is grace, but somebody who loves Jesus, who was so gifted and so called and so talented, I want to know how he fell because I don't ever want to be in that place because I'm not naive enough to think I'm perfect and that it could never happen to me. So I want to know what this word says. So that was our conversation. That was what we wrestled with. Now, we didn't have those facts, but, but we were having those conversations. I think sometimes the conversations have a place. The question is, how do we begin to weigh those two things? How do we begin to understand when our speech and our conversation has slipped into places that James warns about? When we're starting sparks that cause fires rather than having conversations that, that honor God and, and build us as, as followers of Christ. And so I came across this story this week. You may have heard it. It's, it's told about Socrates. It's called the Triple Filter test. Have you ever heard the triple filter test? Okay, good. I hadn't either. I'd never heard the, the tripper, triple, I'm going to trip over it. Triple filter test. But this is how the, 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 the mythology goes. That one day Socrates was out and an acquaintance came up to him and said, Socrates, have you heard about one of your students? And he started to prepare to tell Socrates this story. And Socrates stopped him and said, wait a minute. Before you tell me whatever it is you want to tell me, let's do the triple filter test. And his acquaintance looked at him inquisitively. And Socrates continued. He said, first, let me ask you this question. Do you know what you are about to tell me to be true? Do you know that what you are about to say is true? And the man looked at him and said, well, no, I don't know that. I, I just heard it. He said, okay. He said, well, let's try the second filter. Is what you are about to tell me about one of my students good? And the man looked at him and said, well, no, it's quite the contrary. He said, so you want to tell me something that isn't good, but you don't know to be true. He said, let's try the third filter, because we can still redeem this on the third filter. He said, is what you are about to tell me beneficial, useful? And the man said, no, I, I don't really think that it is. And he said, so what you want to tell me is neither useful or good, and you don't know it to be true. And said, with that, the man kind of hung his head in embarrassment, and he walked away. And thus is the legend of the triple filter test. And these are the kind of things I like because they give me a framework in which to begin thinking. And I think even though it's not necessarily a derived specifically from the Scriptures, I think it's very, very applicable to what James was writing to the church. And I think what, what God wants of us is is to begin to, to create 
in our heads the questions that we need to ask before we engage in the conversations. And I think the triple filter test is useful. Now, let, let me be clear. It doesn't mean that everything we say has to meet all three standards. There are some things that can be good, I mean, that can be truthful and useful that aren't necessarily good. And they're conversations that need to be had, that can be used in ways that even benefit the person that we're having a conversation about. There are things that sometimes are good and um, truthful that may be not useful, but that's not bad either, necessarily. But we always have to be careful when we start to get into the realm of things that are neither truthful nor good, or truthful that are not truthful nor useful. And so it begins to help us shape and think through our conversations and think through the things that we say because our speech can build up and it can tear down. You know, what they say is the most dangerous place in the church is the parking lot. <laughs> and not because of people's driving, but because of conversations. It's called the parking lot committee. You've probably heard that before. And because of the, the, the tendency we have sometimes to take the things that, that we speculate about, the things that we don't like, and to, to let them shape our conversations when we come out of our places of worship or we come, we come out of our meetings. Now, look, again, this is a challenge for me. But I'm pretty confident, at least for a good number of you, it's a, a challenge for you. Because, see, what I'm challenged in is this. What if our conversations, what if my conversations that began with, have you heard, didn't immediately go to the negative, but went to the other side of what James is talking about. What if they went to the things that were praiseworthy, whatever is good and praiseworthy and holy, of good rapport and good reputation? Think on these things. Speak on these things. That's my addition. But what if that peppered our conversation? What if people leaned in because when, as followers of Jesus, they heard those words, have you heard, they knew that they were going to hear something uplifting. They knew they were going to hear the testimony about another person that praised them or complimented them. What if my conversations weren't about who was cheating on who or who was stealing what or who had done this dishonest thing, but rather my conversations were more about, man, have you seen what a wonderful mother she is? Have you heard about what a good job he does taking care of his family, or leading a Bible study, or what a great job she does reaching out to those who are in need, or what a great job those young people are doing um, in their education and becoming responsible adults. What if our conversation became more peppered with the things that were praiseworthy and honored God and honored others rather than the traps that we fall into of just spreading the salacious, interesting, do-no-value, start-lots-of-fires kind of stories? That's our challenge. What kind of words come out of our mouth? What kind of stories are common in our speech? And how do we become more like who Christ has called us to be? People that lift up and build up rather than tear down and degradate. That's our challenge. It's not easy. It is not easy because those stories don't sell magazines those stories don't lead the evening news, but they do shape God's people. And I pray that that's who we become more of. That becomes more of our character trait and that you're challenged as I'm challenged. The three-filter test is really, that's the test that's kicked me in the teeth this week. Is it truthful? Is it good? 
and is it useful? And I know that if I apply that to my life, I will be quiet a lot more. And much some people would really enjoy that. Uh, but I think I'm not alone. So just be challenged. That's the challenge today. That's the challenge. Recognize the devastation and the importance of our words and choose them carefully. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, that if we need to today, that you'll kind of just hit us right in our hearts. Just, just wake us up. We're not perfect. That's why we need Jesus. But, Lord, don't let us use that as an excuse. Because we are called to the way of Jesus. And if we know anything, Jesus built up. And he lifted up. And he spoke about those things that were praiseworthy and honorable. That we would be the same kind of people. Forgive us when we fall short. Help us to mend the fences and to heal the wounds that we sometimes cause. But then help us to grow and to be more Christ-like. May our stories build up and honor you because that's our call. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.